Mini episode 1267 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with one of my fellow FDH Lounge original dignitaries, Chris Galloway. It is that time again. It is time for the 2020 NFL Divisional Previews. This is part one of our series, starting as we generally tend to do with the AFC East. And I'm going to indicate at the start here, I'm going to do what I sometimes do when we get into a series, and that's to say something at the outset and then just in the subsequent segment point you back to part one if you want to hear our thoughts on that. And that being the specific circumstances that we are dealing with here with COVID-19 this season, a season unlike any other. We're coming off of an off-season like any other, a draft like any other, and everything like any other as regards the NFL. So whatever we have to say about this and the special circumstances, we'll touch upon how it affects certain teams as we go along because it does affect certain teams more than other teams. But as far as any kind of macro statement about the season, this is it. We're getting it out of the way here at the beginning of part one and our anticipation on this. I will say, I've been on record as saying through our sports segments over the last several months that I think any league that is not looking at doing a bubble concept is kidding itself. I think when you look at the success of the NBA and the NHL thus far, they've been able to make it work. Plus, MLS, WNBA, and a lot of the other things we don't really tend to talk about here, but I think they've been making their bubbles work as well. MLB was off to a fitful start. Uh, they have improved as they've gone along, but uh, again, we'll see how long that lasts. The NFL is clearly hoping to be in the same boat as MLB as far as at least being able to get through this. And as I've been saying, if there's ever any commissioner in sports who's willing to step over a dead body to keep a season going, that man would be Roger Goodell. So I wouldn't bet against this season going forward, no matter how dire things may be. I have my doubts about reaching the end of a 16-game season, but we're going to treat it as though that's what it's going to be because what choice do we have? How, we, we can't postulate on what else it could possibly be. Uh, guessing in the year 2020 in any realm is uh, always going to come up empty. So for the sake of argument, let's say it's a 16-game season. And uh, so those, those are my initial thoughts on it. Chris, uh, take it away on yours. Uh, thank you, Rick. Um, first of all, thrilled to be here with you again. I always love doing these uh, preseason segments with you. Awesome, great to um, have you. I, I think you've nailed the, the, the you know the nail right on the head as it comes to COVID and what we expect. Or you know, there's a lot of wild cards um, for the purposes of this show, obviously to um, calculate out a 16 game season. I actually don't think it's going to be COVID that could end up being the problem for the NFC or for the NFL uh, later in the season. Um, I do think that that's more likely to be political. Um, it's the issues of social justice that are uh, the leagues are with right now. I think that is more likely the thing that could derail uh, the season and peel some games off. I think 
far as COVID-19 goes, uh, baseball is obviously the, the model to look at when you look at the NFL and how it's going to go. I, I get your point about bubbles and they're very successful, but I think based on the size of NFL teams and support staff, creating a bubble with, um, or say two bubbles, like an East and West bubble, or an AFC and an NFC bubble with one stadium, um, and being able to do games successfully, I think doing a bubble for the NFL is far more exceedingly difficult logistically to pull off. First of all, finding locations with enough fields and you know, stadium capacity and places to play and where you can put, you know, 32, 55, we're up to 55 man rosters uh, plus support staff. I mean, you're just talking, you know, what, 15,000 people? Um, it's just not, I just don't think it's a doable thing to the NFL. Now that said, yes, baseball had some challenges, but, um, I think if you look at the overall numbers, other than some incidents, baseball's done thousands and thousands of tests, you know, uh, continuously on their players and they're getting back a percentage well under 1% in terms of positive. But I think we need to expect that that's going to happen through the season. It's going to be a factor. You know, suddenly you're going to be the Tennessee Titans and your left guard and your center are suddenly going to be COVID positive and they're going to miss the game next week against the Colts. It's going to happen. And um, I think the NFL is just going to say, we're just going to play on. Those guys are pulled out. You test positive. And until they're negative, they can't come back in uh, to the team and resume play. Um, so depth is going to be critical this year. Um, and I think the other factor that you're going to see and you're seeing already with teams like the Browns, uh, where um, the lack of off-season, the lack of training, and I'm not talking about the X's and O's, I'm talking about training with their staff in the facility from time to time, professional training, you know, these off-season videos of guys, I'm lifting bags of rice in my, you know, my garage, I'm getting in my workout. Well, we're going to see a lot of soft tissue injuries this year, and we're already seeing them. Um, maybe guys can, you know, get up to, you know, get into shape by early September, so those start to be reduced. Kind of like the old days in the NFL when guys had chops in the offseason and would use training camp to play themselves into shape. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see that, and that by the end of September, these types of injuries will, will start to lessen. But I think we're going to see a lot more of that this year. And again, back to depth. That's where it's going to. That's where the teams that are deepest. And the most stable organizations are are going to benefit this year, in my opinion. I agree with uh, everything you're saying there, as far as the depth and everything else. And uh, again, to get back to the whole thing about the politics of it, I think that that is a very good point as well. Having said that, uh, it is very very interesting in the NBA that when it came down to it for LeBron and everybody else in there, for as much as you know, there's been talk about all the concessions that were made, whatever. The cynic in me, Chris looks at the whole thing of somebody pointed out that it said, and I, I had heard this, that they'd be losing 20 to 30% of their salaries based on the TV money if they folded their tents right now. Uh, the cynic in me says money talked in that instance and that the players got a face-saving way to come back and still make it look like they cared. And hell, the Lakers and the Clippers most of all, right? They're the ones that said, we want to end the season. So LeBron and everybody else gets to point at that and say, hey, don't look at me. The other guys folded. I wanted to end the season. 
I have a hard time seeing the same thing not happen in the NFL if push comes to shove. I think it's possible. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. Money is obviously always the overriding factor, despite whatever these guys say. It's easy to be a social justice warrior, but I didn't see anybody in the NBA say, you know, let's cancel the season and all go out and march and, and get active in these, in our, in our hometown communities. Um, you know, it, it's, I'm, you know, I'm being cynical, but not really because I, I didn't see much of that at all, uh, or even any of that even suggested. Um, so if you're serious about these things and you are people that have a platform like they do, you know, it's not like somebody, you know, what? let's just, let's just cut it. Let's just end it and let's get out in the streets. Um, I, no, I might not have agreed with it, but I certainly respected that position. Um, so I think in the NFL, the personalities are a little different. They'll be more dollar driven. I'm actually referring more to Rick the listen, I don't want to be negative Nancy here, but I just, see a model in which we get to the November 3rd election and there is not massive unrest in our cities um, in some capacity. Yeah. And and I think that's very probable. So, you know the NFL, how many of these stadiums are now in downtown city locations, right? Um, you've got mass protesting, looting, rioting, whatever you want to, you know, in downtown Cleveland. How do you logistically have a ball game there? How do you do that? How do you do that at, in in the downtown stadium in, in in Chicago? How do you do that in downtown Minneapolis? Um, I think that's going to be the bigger problem for, for the NFL Cup November. Well, yeah, and Minneapolis is on their way to not even having a police department anymore, so that's a relevant part of this discussion as well. No, I I agree with everything you're saying there. And by the way, this is just. Although this is not on the topic of NFL, this is the show where uh, nothing is off topic. Let me refer everyone, as I did during our recent political segment here, if you want to know what's been happening in the cities the last couple of months, one of the best follows on Twitter right now is independent journalist Michael Tracy. And uh, he has been a must-read the last couple of months going around the country documenting what has been very, very, very undercovered in the media vis-a-vis the scope of what's already happened. And uh, again, as you indicate, Chris, there might be more to come, and obviously that would have a lot to say about how the season gets uh, completed. So yeah, so there are unprecedented obstacles in the way uh, of this season and getting through it. Maybe not unprecedented, the strike years, we knew that was looming over 82 and 87, but outside of that, there's never really been anything that's faced the NFL like this as far as will they or won't they as far as getting through a season. I mentioned LeBron a second ago here, and that makes a good segue because we've talked about this every year with the AFC East. It has always been, well, Tom Brady and the Patriots, I've always said, they have a leg up on getting into the playoffs because it was more or less a bye being in the division that they were in, somewhat akin to LeBron's eight years in the Eastern Conference making it to the NBA Finals here. And uh, when you know you're going to be in there, when you know you're going to be in the playoffs and with a great seed, it certainly behooves you uh, at the outset as far as being able to make a great run. For the AFC East, going back almost to the beginning of the century, the story has been, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. But that one-eyed man this year, Chris, is the Buffalo Bills and not the New England Patriots because Tom Brady has taken his talents to the Gulf Beach of uh, Tampa Bay this year. Uh, leaving behind uh, Cam Newton and, uh, uh, quite frankly, a roster that has had a lot of guys opting out for this season. So 
take it in whatever direction you want to take at the outset here, whether it be the Bills or the Patriots. I'll defer to you. Well, I think you, you again, set the table perfectly in, in, in the sense that the Bills are the clear favorite in, in the AFC East. They have to be. They have the best defense in uh, a division by far. Um, they have a young quarterback who's still developing. I still, you know, I just, to me, the, 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 the jury is still out on him um, in terms of, you know, whether long-term he's going to be a success. I think that coaching staff uh, led by Sean McDermott is uh, has been fantastic, much like the Rick Ravens staff tailoring their offense to a quarterback, um, a, a non-traditional quarterback. I mean, Josh Allen does not throw a great deep ball. He does not throw an accurate ball. Um, and I don't know that that's ever going to improve at this point, right? We're two years into his NFL career. And I don't see any evidence that suddenly he's going to become super accurate with the football. But what he is is big, physical, he can run, he can extend plays. And if you get enough weapons around him, which they are attempting to do with the acquisition of guys like Stefan Diggs, um, you know, you can you can win ball games uh, with that strong defense and with Josh Allen. So the Bills are clearly the favorite in my my opinion. I think more interestingly in this division, it's what's going to happen after that. Um, I'm, I'm going to go, I don't know if it's really a limb. I, I just love the job that Brian Flores did in his first year uh, in Miami. And uh, while they were literally tearing down a roster around him, uh, rallying that team uh, to winning uh, down the stretch like they did, being competitive week after week with a roster that most of us would have considered garbage, uh, I, I think it, it clearly indicts, uh, again, what terrible job Hugh Jackson did in a similar situation. Yes. Uh, Brian Flores was clearly a great hire. You have a GM and a head coach on the same page uh, in Miami in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. And um, I just think the, the future is bright for Miami, despite the fact that I don't, you know, I'm not as convinced on Tua as so many other people. Um, I think that this year, with the lack of offseason, these first-round rookie quarterbacks that everybody was thinking were going to come in and, and play right away, um, I think other than Joe Burrow out of necessity, I think teams would be wise not to be doing that this year. So I don't know that we're going to see Tua on the field much, at least in the first half of the season. Without the rookie camps, without the OTAs, without the offseason with staffs being able to study, these rookie QBs are really at a disadvantage, a real disadvantage. And it's it would be horrible to run somebody like that out there week one. You've got Fitzpatrick, you've got uh, Josh Rosen, you've got you've got a couple guys in front of him that can play the position and have more experience. And if you're Miami, you're better off just getting two ready for next year in Miami. Let him also heal fully from his injury uh, from last year. So I think the Dolphins are going to slide up into number two. I don't know what that record's going to look like. I think they and the Jets are going to be competitive for that second spot. They're both probably looking at sort of that seven and nine type of uh, that sort of uh, position. I think the Pats are looking at about six and ten. I think Cam Newton makes them 
viable analog with solid coaching on a week-by-week basis. But if you look at that roster, I mean, there's a reason Tom Brady got sick of it and left. Um, he didn't have weapons on the outside. Uh, with all the with all the guys opting out this year on the defensive side, um, in what was not a very athletic or dynamic defense, but they schemed to success. Um, I, I just think the Patriots are going to be just not going to be the same team. The guys that walked in free agency, the guys that decided to opt out for the season, um, losing Tom Brady, you know, even with his diminishing skill, pure dipping experience. Um, Cam is coming off an injury. They say he looks great. He doesn't look good in the video we've seen. But I think it's extremely unfair to Cam put him in a new system and be like, all right, here you go. You've got not much weapons uh, besides, you know, a couple running backs and, and a couple spots on the line that are questionable. I, I just think the Pats are dialed in at, you know, 6-10, and 5-11, despite, uh, despite uh, some of their historical advantages in terms of the organization coaching. All right, great notes there on the teams. I'm going to circle back uh, one at a time here just on my points. As far as the Bills, I I think I uh, would accept all of your premises about the Bills and and as far as how they look coming into this year. My sense is in looking at it here, so you're going to have three divisional winners that are going to have to be playing week one because in the playoffs because of the expanded wild card here. To me, the Bills are clearly, when you look at the likely division winners, they are clearly the most likely ones to lose that game at home, right? I I don't think it's even close as far as the likelihood on that. They're a good team, but again, they're going to make it mostly because of the division that they're in. And the fact that they may be likely to be the four seed, maybe they can get fat enough off that divisional record to rise above the four. But if they're in a four seed, I do not like their odds against whoever the best wild card team is. Um, I think that's a challenge for the Bills, but they'll at least be at home. Now, sure. that said, you don't get the home, you know, home field advantages this year. What is that? Well, true. Right? Good mean, point. Good point. I mean, you know, it, 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 it looks like some teams right now, at least to start the season, aren't even going to have fans at all. So you're going to see that in Baltimore and Cleveland in the first week. We know that. Baltimore has said no, no fans in week one or the first two home games in Baltimore. So where's that traditional home field advantage? I mean, other than the fact that you have to travel and, you know, you're in a different facility, there's probably still a slight advantage, but not the not the same. Buffalo clearly loses an advantage, um, other than the fact that you're going to be in Buffalo in January. Right. So if they're playing a wild card that's a southern team, uh, with, you know, and they've only got 8,000 or 10,000 fans in the stadium at that point, um, I still would give an advantage to the Bills to win that first in that first week, get into the second round of the playoffs. Um, frankly, they should have won in Houston last year. Yeah, um, on the road, and um, you know they just collapsed at the end. And they, should, I mean, they should have won that game. Um, so I think you know, I, I disagree slightly. I think I think Buffalo gets in. I think they get that that first. That that win at home, Buffalo gets a home game. Of course, typical 2020, you know, a starving fan base like the Bills finally get a home playoff game, and they probably won't allow anybody there to be there. Um, so, uh, but I I, I, I I do disagree. I think they can. I think they can make it. I, I didn't mean to gloss over the Jets. Uh, you know, they have lots of problems in terms of depth. They they're, they're shipping off players like Jamal Adams. Um, you don't just replace a guy like that. Yeah, he was a bit of a hippie 
become a bit of a cancer in the locker room, but on the field, the guy is dominant. Um, I think Josh Darnold, uh, sorry, Sam Darnold is still trying to sort of find his way. He's shown us what kind of quarterback he can be, but he hasn't become the quarterback we think he should be. And is that because it's the Jets? Is that because it's Gates? Um, you know, I just don't know. I think Gates is—he's got—he's got to get some wins this year, or he'll be gone. Uh, and the Jets will be starting over. Um, they certainly have some talent on that roster, but that offensive line is not good. Um, you know, they, the wide receivers are a question mark. I, I think the Jets are—you know—the defense has lost some guys now. I mean, they're—they are—you know—they're hoping to get to seventy-nine. Uh, if Sam Donald has a breakout type of year, but I don't know that we can expect that. I mean, I could see the Jets being anywhere from seven and nine to you know uh, four and twelve with this roster in this situation. So um, they're just they're another team that I think is going to struggle just to get over five hundred. Other than the Bills, every other team in this division is going to struggle to get over five hundred. Clearly, yes. And uh, interesting points about the Bills, and yeah, no Bills mafia in the stadium there. I guess that comes from just not having the right owner because Jerry Jones, I think, is trying to work off of the Sturgis model of crowd control in Dallas there. But uh, in Buffalo... Well, don't forget, the other thing that's going to, again, back to politics, right? I mean, where your team is located yeah. and whether you have a Democrat or a Republican governor right now, at yes. least right now, is a real determiner on whether or not you can possibly have fans in the stadium. Right. So, uh, it's... You know, you're you're in Cuomo's state. He's not going to let the Bills have fans, right? Yep. Luckily, uh, you know, unfortunately or luckily, Jets and Giants, they're in New Jersey. They're not much better off in terms of their state leadership. But um, uh, here I am showing showing my colors. But, um, <laughs> you, know, it, it, you know, it's a reality. Florida is finding a way to make it work. Texas is finding a way to make it work. California has said no. We I mean, California's governor's trying to figure out new ways to shut everything down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, so clearly where you reside is going to factor in whether you can have any kind of fans. Um, you know, I clearly the Browns are going to try to have some. Sounds like they're going to try to have. They haven't officially said anything, but, you know, maybe 10,000 fans there. Um, you know, it'd be like going to a Mac football game. So, you know. Yeah, except in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You> <laughs> We, we know from that, Chris. We, we certainly know from that as fans of the uh, Harvard on the Hawking. And, uh, yes, uh, Texas, of course, being the state of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, uh, not to be confused with the great radio host, uh, but Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick on record as saying, hey, throw Grandma and Grandpa on the, bond- on the bonfire so we can get an extra five points on the S&P 500. So, yes, where you are basically has something to do with uh, how – you're going to be able to operate. There's no question about that in terms of political realities. As far as the Jets go, let me move to them next uh, on what you said there. Uh, I take a little more dire view of them because you're looking at, I believe C.J. Mosley is sitting out this year. They they are having some guys defensively sitting out. Like you said, that offensive line's not good. I speculated at this time a year ago, Le'Veon Bell, is he going to be washed? He is, man. He's like Tyson coming out of jail. That year off of no contact, dude, Sometimes you just never get back what you had before. And Le'Veon Bell had a lot of city miles on him before he sat out that year. Dude is washed up. So I don't like the well, Jets. Well, don't, don't you think that, I mean, that is an interesting state, 
case study for future guys that think they want to pull that whole maneuver. Yeah. Like, oh, you think you think you can just sit out a year and it's all going to be great? Okay, good luck. You know what I'd say, Chris? That that's that's a fascinating you know sub argument here as far as this goes. I'd say do it earlier in your career. If you do it when you've already got as many city miles on you as he did, I think it could really be tough to get back. You do it early in your career, and I think you can recover. But he was far in, and you know I I, I know not a lot of people agree with me when I use the whole uh, statement here of people wanting the Albert Pujols contract, pay me for what I did for another team. That's what Le'Veon Bell was after. Look, sometimes life's not fair. You, you didn't make the money putting up the stats that you put up. You expect the next team to pay you for that? They're not going to want to. The Jets were willing to, and I think they're regretting it, and he's not going to make it much further into that deal. I predict that's his last year in a Jets uniform. I think this year is just going to be a debacle for them. I think they'll be in last place and maybe by a healthy margin. The Dolphins, I co-sign on what you're saying there. I've always said that they're my 1B team as far as, uh, or 1A, or however you want to slice it, but next to the Browns. And so I'm very happy with the job Brian Flores has done. After all this time of Bill Belichick disciples uh, not really doing squat as head coaches, and I'll lump Bill O'Brien in there as well, highly overrated individual and uh, somebody that I've never thought much of as a head coach. Uh, But again, Brian Flores is doing an amazing job. And, uh, yeah, they're further along than they should be. The Tua thing, skills-wise, I don't have any issues with it. I wonder about coming back from that hip deal. I mean, you know, it just maybe I'm being a little reductive here, but I hear hip and I think Bo Jackson. I mean, that's got to be one of the worst places on the body to come back from something, Chris. Well, the advantage for Tua is he was young, uh, younger, far younger than Bo. Um, and also, uh, you know, modern medicine, Surgeries are, are so much more advanced than they were back then. Um, that you know, I mean, the, the doctors that I've read and listened to uh, on that say, no, no, he's gonna, he can come back from it. But if you're the Dolphins, with the way this off season is gone, and you know he's still recovering from that, there's no way. Even though he, you know, the video he runs around and everything, you just can't tell me that you're at 100 percent yet with that. It, if you're the Dolphins, it makes all the sense in the world. At least weeks one through eight or nine, that he's not seeing the field at all, um, at all. It's not the whole season, and um, you've got two guys in front of him on that roster that can play in the NFL. They're not. It's not ideal. But I also don't think that you know, if you're the Dolphins, realistically, there's nobody that says thinks you're competing, you know, for a Super Bowl right, right now. Um, so it's you know, I think you know, if you want to be competitive, you want to win ball games. But if you're investing in Tua, you know, invest in him and, and be smart with him. And I think they're going to be. I, I, I think that this new Dolphins regime is showing that they are very smart in how they're going about their personnel decisions. I, I agree. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I and as far your your point is very well taken on the hip, and I'm actually in in that regard thinking of uh, a conversation that I had yesterday because Bo Jackson with the hip thing, what was that, ninety ninety one somewhere in there. Uh, I was someplace yesterday, as you know, uh, and I was there with my dad, and I was looking around, and I was like, boy, they didn't have all this stuff back in 93 when I was here, and my dad was like, Richard, you know how long ago 93 was? So, yes, right. point well taken, Bo Jackson. Well, and a quarterback in modern NFL, is, is, he's not a running back, he's not going to get hit on every play like Bo Jackson. Yeah, that's you know, true, that's true. I mean, a quarterback should rarely be hit in modern NFL, let's be honest. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think from that standpoint, I'm not as worried about the hip on Tua as I am more about just, to be frank, the, the overall uh, success of Alabama players in the NFL. Because other than, you know, they get a lot of them drafted and a lot of them are decent, serviceable. How many great, I mean, amazing NFL All-Pro guys are actually from Alabama? I mean, it's nowhere near the number that are drafted. Defensively, though, defensively especially, you get that. I think, think, you know, when you're talking tackles, cornerbacks, whatever, I think that's where you see more success coming out of that program. Safeties sometimes offensively not so much. I mean, Mark Ingram is the big exception to the rule as far as uh, running backs. Wide receivers, you know, you got Julio Jones as well, but you're right. If you're talking quantity, you have to look defensively, and you have to look not at all, basically, at quarterback. So, yeah, Tua. I'm, I'm just thinking about a program that gets 12 people a year drafted. That's and true. And I look across the league, and I go, I look at the last decade with Nick Saban, and I go, eh, I mean, there's a few guys. Mosley, Mark Ingram, you know, Julio Jones. But by and large, most of them have not been that great. Um, and, you know, certainly not a quarterback at Alabama. So I, I think, you know, that's my bias on Tua. Okay. I'm saying, here he is, he's a quarterback, and there's no doubt that he's talented. But he was at Alabama playing behind a line where he never got touched, right? And he just didn't get touched. And he's throwing to all Americans at like every position. Um, and his defense is dominant, you know, other than maybe two games a year where they have to really fight uh, for a victory. Um, you know, he was set up in a position where, you know, success is sort of built into the program. So I, I guess, I, to me, that's the jury's still out on Tua. Yeah, and because of that that background. Until Kyler Murray did what he did last year, I've had sort of a bias, as a lot of folks have, against smaller quarterbacks. And I won't say that Baker Mayfield, based on what he's done yet, has been a factor in shaking me of that. But Kyler Murray certainly has been. So I feel a little bit better as a Dolphins honk looking at what Kyler Murray's done and thinking that Tua might not be as compromised in that regard. Coming around to the Patriots, yeah, once again, there's probably not much more for me to build on from what you said. You kind of summed up what the deal is there with that roster. I will say, to kind of bring it full circle, as far as when Brady decided that he was going to go, that's one of those things where I was scratching my head, uh, as I think a lot of people were, that when, when Gronk left, I think a lot of us were thinking, and it's not like these guys have yet revolutionized the tight end position, but their, their careers are early. Fant, Hawkinson, you're thinking they're going to go in a direction like that, even if they got a trade up, right? You're thinking that they're going to get the Gronk replacement because, you know, you, you want to stay with kind of the same system. They had to move so far away from what they were doing because they didn't even try to get any type of replacement for Gronk. I think that you're going to see, and, and I know I've been probably way more critical of Bill Belichick than most. Um, I do believe most of the success is Brady. Um, I still will come back to and say, look at Bill Belichick's record before and without Tom Brady. Um, I'm sorry. I mean, great quarterbacks make great coaches, um, more so than the other way around. Um, and we're going to talk about that as it relates to other coaches later in some of these segments. Hi, Pete Carroll. I'm looking at you, buddy. Um, <laughs> 
so I just I think that the the sort of obstinance of Bill Belichick, you know, trying to find lacrosse players to put around, uh, you know, and, and roller skate uh, players and other, you know, you know, hey, look, my garbage man, he could be a tight end, um, you know, putting that around Tom Brady late in his career was ridiculous, and uh, you know, shame on them. You know, the the, the reality is that the Pats drafting. Uh, rankings and how well they've drafted hasn't been that great. Yeah, um, they they've done a better job of bringing in guys on their second contract or bargains and building a system. In that sense, I give them a lot of credit on the coaching end of things, but I don't think that their overall talent acquisition has been better than anybody else in the NFL. And I would say, you know, if I rank all thirty-two teams, they may be somewhere down around you know twenty, twenty-two. Um, I just, you know, and I think now that you lost a guy like Brady, you know, you're going to see that this year. There's going to be struggles. And, um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, people are like, oh, Belichick's the greatest ever and he's a genius and all this other stuff. We'll see. We'll see. Well, what you're saying about Belichick's time away from Tom Brady as a head coach is, is taking me to a dark place personally here. Uh, remembering his uh, execrable segment as uh, Cleveland Browns head coach in the early 90s here. That is taking me to a deep, dark place, remembering that utter failure uh, of an era. But uh, again, I don't disagree with anything you're saying here, and I think this will be a true test for him. And I think his legacy may very well suffer for coaching out the final segment of his career without Tom Brady. Unless they can go into enough of a tank job to get Trevor Lawrence, I guess I'll end on that note. Do you buy the conspiracy theory that he's looking for a reboot a year from now with Trevor Lawrence? I don't. Uh, I don't think Bill thinks like that. Okay. Uh, I think if they end up getting a quarterback in, you know, in the top ten, um, you know, it's very possible that, that it works out for them that way. But um, I, I, don't, I don't buy the conspiracy theories in that regard. Um, I think Bill just does what Bill wants to do. And, you know, again, I think if they were looking to tank, they don't bring in, uh, they don't bring in Cam, right? I right. mean, if that was their MO, like, we're just tanking, uh, you, you, you just go, okay, Brian Hoare, you're our guy this year. Good luck, you know? Um, but the fact that they brought in Cam tells me that they're, you know, they're looking at all options. You know, they, they want to look and see if Cam's all washed up or whether they can, you know, maybe they give him a contract or, you know, or, and they're trying to, you know, win this year despite everything. So, um, yeah, I, I don't buy into that. Interesting. Although bringing in Cam might be the perfect camouflage for what you're doing based on the fact that Carolina... The, the, the camouflage? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, that Hey, Carolina got rid of him. I mean, maybe it's a subtle tank job, like the Cavs of 0-2-0-3 having uh, not necessarily the worst roster in the league, but deciding to play without a point guard the entire season. Maybe this, maybe Cam Newton is the no point guard uh, equivalent here of the uh, New England tank. Don't know. We'll find out by the time the year goes through. But this has been the first part of our segment previewing the NFL in 2020, the AFC East. I thank Chris Galloway. We'll catch you for our next segment looking at the AFC North.